When caring for a seriously ill loved one, the journey shouldn't be taken alone. Circle of Life Hospice can help. Services are covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. No one is turned away based on an inability to pay. 750-6632 or nwacircleoflife.com for more. This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF 91.3. Later on today's show, are you smarter than a middle schooler? Perhaps it depends on the subject, but contestants in the Civics Bee, hosted by the Rogers Lowell Chamber, might have you beat. We hear from Sarah Lynn Geiger, the Chamber's Vice President of Government, Government Affairs, about this year's competition in our second half hour. First today, Backroom Arkansas is a pop-up nightclub. It hosts elaborate music, art, and dance events in bars and other establishments in the Bentonville area. Pop-ups are curated temporary event spaces that provide opportunities for organizations with no physical location while also highlighting the business or area where it is hosted. This Friday, Backroom is hosting a unique art auction that is sure to fire up some art collectors in the region. As our largest Sophia Narani reports. Karen Leibowitz and Sam Solano, the founders of Backroom, say they created the pop-up because they were looking for a place where DJs don't take requests and play into the early hours of the morning. We were used to going out, checking out music, music. Yeah, yeah, as late as we wanted. And there's some really cool places out here, but we kept getting last call at 11, 11, 11.30. And we noticed sometimes when we would go out, there'd be really talented DJs in terms of their skill set, but they were, they were catering to the audience a lot. So we wanted to start Backroom to bring a little bit of nightlife to the Bentonville Rogers area and allow um, DJs, musicians to, you know, play what they want to play. Karen and Sam have hosted several events that cater to the minds of artists and musicians in Northwest Arkansas. This Friday evening at Cash Studios, they are hosting an art auction with Bentonville-based multimedia artist Ben Edwards. Edwards says Backroom caters to his eclectic style. As an artist, I don't have a consistent media that I use or style that I adhere to. And my work oftentimes can be very contradictory in some opinion because it doesn't have that level of consistency that oftentimes, you know, you associate with an artist that has been at it as long as I have. But I try to stay at changing it up. And recently, I have had more opportunity to use my body as an art medium and perform art live. Um, And that is something that is very exciting to me. Those opportunities are not vast in our area. And that's what makes an organization like Backroom so essential is because an artist, an artist like myself, that do perform visual art live using the body as medium, there's not an arena for that. The event will include an auction where attendees will have the opportunity to bid on Ben's specially curated artwork. But here's the twist. Items not purchased by the end of the night will be incinerated on site during a live performance by Ben himself. But why burn art? Burning works of art is something that several artists have have done in history uh, and in the present day. Uh, Agnes Martin, Georgia O'Keeffe, John Baldessari have all edited their oeuvre by destroying works of art in some way, oftentimes with fire. Myself, yes, I've done that. I've had bonfires of my art uh, here in Fayetteville, uh, in Bella Vista, uh, different places over the years. Here's the thing, when you make things, when you are an object maker, which I primarily am, even though I do perform art live, oftentimes the result is an object being made. So when you make objects, uh, they don't find their place into the world, okay? But these are little bits of your soul that you have extracted and materialized in some form, 
Okay. And these works of art, I mean, have been exhibited, uh, been offered for sale. Uh, some of them have never seen the light of day, though. But that little piece of my soul can return to me, and the object can go away. And so, you know, if you have the power to destroy a thing, you sort of have the power to control a thing. And so I'd like to always stay very much in control of my studio practice and the work I exhibit. Backroom Arkansas will be taking over Cash Studios in Bentonville by the end of the year. The pop-up will move permanently into the warehouse location and henceforth be known as the Backroom Social Club. Cash Studios says they are excited to see Backroom take the reins of the building and see growth within the organization. Cash Studios will remain active at the Medium in Bentonville and at their Springdale location, according to Representative Brittany Johnson. Backroom founder Karen Lipowitz says, while the original goal was in temporary and pop-up locations, that has evolved over Backroom's lifetime. We were looking for a more permanent space. We're looking at some warehouses in the area. Weren't quite finding what we were looking for. Um, you know, and as soon as we heard about Cash Studios letting go of the building, the first thing we thought about were the artists, artists in residence there, and the artist studios, you know, what's going to happen to them. Um, a lot of them have become our friends, and we wanted to make sure that they had a space still to create. And there really wasn't any other space in the Bentonville Rogers area um, for that. Yeah, we decided to go ahead and pursue taking over the building ourselves, um, keeping the artist studios intact, making improvements, little things, you know, hearing out what the artists are needing. Um, and then the rest of the building will be Backroom Social Club. Karen and Sam say they're hoping to expand the use of the warehouse, making it a hub for all forms of creatives in the area. We'll be able to have permanent regular programming, incorporate arts much more, just have a space to be able to do that. Um, we're thinking about possibly independent film screenings. We don't really have an independent theater up there that plays either local or just smaller people's films. Um, we have a lot of ideas for the space um, besides just a nightclub too, so we're really excited about it. Backrooms Buy or Burn is taking place on Friday at 1004 Southeast 5th Street in Bentonville, starting at 5 p.m. In addition to the auction, there will be live music from artist Uni Wah and beverages available for purchase. A portion of all bidding and concession proceeds will be going towards benefiting Best Friends Animal Society in Northwest Arkansas. For more information on Backroom, visit backroomar.com or backroom underscore AR on Instagram. To find Ben Edwards and his artwork, you can search for Ben Edwards Official on Instagram. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Sophia Narani. Still to come on today's show, the Berryville Library has been in the same space for at least 30 years. The town, though, has grown and changed during that time. The face of Berryville looks a lot different. We now have materials in uh, Marshallese, we have materials in Spanish, of course, and English, um, but the same, this, the library has in this, stayed in the same small space. Progress toward a new, bigger Berryville library continues. The story later on today's Ozarks at Large. The KUAF Giving Tree, now for over a decade working to provide necessary items and support for our area nonprofits, is excited to announce this year's beneficiary, the Yvonne Richardson Community Center. The YRCC is committed to shaping today's youth for tomorrow's challenges by providing recreational, educational, and social opportunities. In short, they're focused on providing accessibility and a place to evolve. The center prides itself on existing as a hub within the community to increase the level of impact gained from those they serve. Throughout the holidays, you'll learn more about the center and its needs, including pre-packaged snacks, sports equipment, coloring, and activity books, and more. Listen for information on the Community Spotlight series, The Giving Tree, and KUAF Public Radio. Your voice matters. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. 
The University of Arkansas has announced a new collective in charge of name, image, and likeness deals for student-athletes. Arkansas Edge replaces the previous collective, One Arkansas, and will be run by Blueprint Sports, a California-based company that manages several NIL collectives at universities around the country. Rob Stein is CEO of Blueprint Sports and says the new agency is a full-service collective that will be able to devote more resources to the university's more than 460 athletes. Name, image, likeness is the center of the college athletics universe because it provides these opportunities. That one of the number one you know, questions asked during recruiting on top of you know, tell me more about the academics and the school life and all that great stuff is what is your NIL program? Because parents want to understand that they're student-athletes that there is a formal business structure in place to help their son or daughter, if they choose to, to be able to take advantage of this, you know, first of its kind opportunity. Now we're going to have a full-time staff that is working in Fayetteville that'll be focused on this every single day out in the community, working with the student athletes, looking for opportunities and ideas, bringing them to them, helping to teach them about uh, contracts, 1099s, all the fun things that we deal with every day. Is He says Arkansas Edge will be funded through brand or business endorsements and public appearances, and also by fan donations. Number one is through uh, memberships, so that uh, individuals all across the country that have an affinity for Arkansas Athletics can support student-athletes by becoming a member starting as low as $50 a month. Um, the second is through... Um, nonprofit fundraising. Uh, we partner with a national 501c3 called the BPS Foundation, and that foundation allows for individuals to make um, donations to a sport, not a student athlete, but a sport at, um, at the University of Arkansas and receive a tax deduction for that. And in return, the student athletes that are selected to, uh, to earn that revenue will go out and perform charitable activities in the community. In 2021, the NCAA changed its rules on student-athletes profiting off their name, image, and likeness. Stein says that has had a significant impact on college sports. 98% of all college athletes do not go on to play professional sports. So this is, a, this is the one time in their life where they're going to be able to take um, advantage of the hard work they put in and earned. And the example I always give, give when people make an argument about well, they're getting a free education. There are folks, there are students uh, in campuses all across the country on scholarships, um, whether it's academic, whether it's music, theater, et cetera. And a theater uh, major who's on scholarship could go uh, start a movie and get paid and still be on scholarship at school. A musical scholarship student could record an album and still be on scholarship at school. It's only student-athletes that until 2021 weren't allowed to do the same thing. In 2022, nearly 200 Razorback athletes had signed at least one NIL deal, according to a statement from the University of Arkansas. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock is the only hospital in the state that performs adult liver and kidney transplants. Now, they've added pancreas transplants to their list. Dr. Raj Patel is the Surgical Director of Pancreas Transplantation at UAMS, and on September 1st, he successfully completed the first combined kidney-pancreas transplant in the state. The patient is a 27-year-old insulin-dependent type 1 diabetic who had been receiving dialysis for kidney failure and fighting for survival since she was a teenager. Now, she is free of both dialysis and insulin treatment, and... Dr. Patel says she's been able to return to her normal activities. In the past, Arkansas patients had to travel to transplant centers located in places like Memphis, Dallas, or St. Louis. Now, surgeons at UAMS are able to perform the transplants and work with a network of satellite clinics in Fayetteville, Jonesboro, Texarkana, Pine Bluff, Fort Smith, and Helena, West Helena for follow-up care. Dr. Patel says that as of right now, they will only be doing kidney-pancreas combination transplants. He says dual organ transplants from the same donor have been shown to benefit patients more than pancreas transplants alone.
This is Ozarks at Large. Last week, Joe Scott, president and chair of the Berryville Library Advisory Board, walked me through a vacant lot in downtown Berryville. And as we walk back here, this will be where people will drive in. They'll be parking around the building, um, as well as perhaps along this drive area as we come in. The lot was donated to the library by the city, and it's within easy walking distance to a municipal park and the city swimming pool. It will be the home of the new Berryville Library, but... There's still some money to be raised before a groundbreaking date can be set. We lovingly call it a little one-room library. Inside the current Berryville Library, Julie Hall, the library's director, gestures with her hand as she describes the cozy, if constricted, contents. We are surrounded by books. We have books literally shelved from floor to ceiling. Um, some shelves hit the ceiling. Um, we're in the YA section here, but we have a vibrant kids section, a vibrant adult section. We have 10 patron computers. The library's been in this space for at least 30 years in a building shared with other county services. The staff of four full-time and four part-time employees can be creative with the space. The children's area is bordered by carts containing materials for makers classes. That's also the performance area. Julie says there are an average of 200 visitors a day and about 500 programs presented annually. The library's footprint hasn't grown in three decades, but its collection has, and so has Berryville's population. In 1990, the U.S. Census counted about 3,200 residents. Three years ago, that number was closer to 5,700, and the city has diversified as well. The face of Berryville looks a lot different. We now have materials in uh, Marshallese. We have materials in Spanish, of course, and English. Um, but the same, this, the library has seemed in this stayed in the same small space. So we're definitely bursting at the seams. A fundraising campaign is underway to raise the money needed to build a new library on that vacant lot. Scheduled to begin before the pandemic, the project's cost was originally set at $2.5 million. Delayed by COVID, the fundraising began in April 2021 with a new post-pandemic price tag, $3.5 million. Complicating matters are the tax rules of Carroll County. Because of the way the local tax is set up here in Carroll County, there's no tax money that can be used to build this building for the library. So all the money needs to be raised from outside sources. Um, 3.5 million for a town the size of Berryville, we were told was not impossible, but would be unprecedented to raise this much. But so far, since that day, April 1st, 2021, we have raised 2.95 million right now. And now the effort is closing in on another milestone. An anonymous gift will kick in when matched by the end of this month. Julie Hall says fundraisers are within $150,000 of that match. If met before the end of this calendar year, the total raised will be at $3.2 million. That's close enough to $3.5 million to set a groundbreaking date. Helping the library arrive at goals small and large the Friends of the Berryville Library, whose incoming president is Elaine Floyd. I'm a child of public libraries, I'm a child of public education, and I feel very passionate about small town libraries. I grew up in a small town, and seeing the impact that librarians can have, just very passionate, and I want, I'm so excited to think about the possibilities of what we're going to be able to do with the new library. The nonprofit group has hosted summer parties and bake sales, literally bake sales, to inch closer to the finish line. Elaine Floyd says the group has had success raising money from local sources and people further away. She credits the library's staff for the success. Being in this town and being able to be have access to the internet here, I moved here about two years ago, my printer wasn't working so I was hanging out here. The caliber of the staff, everybody is greeted as they come in the door. There's just an empathy here that's palpable and a professionalism that's unprecedented actually. Berryville has around 5,700 people, but the library service population is more than twice that. There are the other towns in Carroll County, the unincorporated areas, and residents of contiguous neighboring counties in both Arkansas and Missouri can get a library card or use the services. Library Director Julie Hall says the library for so many people can represent personal or professional help. During COVID, it became quite clear that the public libraries in Carroll County are the only place with public computers and with public access to printers. And when that was taken away, it was a real detriment to many people who couldn't get kind of key documents printed out. People also need help just getting research, researching, getting information, knowing where to start. 
The library has also started a Who's Hiring in Carroll County online service and is one of 12 libraries in the country selected to be part of the National STEAM Equity Project. This is a project with the Space Science Institute out of Colorado and the American Library Association. Um, and with that, we got a lot of training and resources to really try to reach underserved parts of our community, um, especially tweens, especially girls, and especially Hispanic kids who might not know that they're interested in a STEM career. So trying to bring more informal STEAM activities, science, technology, engineering, art, and math activities out into the community. The new library will be over 10,000 square feet, more than triple the current library size, and will have dedicated spaces for children, for teens, for meetings, and for studying. There will be shelving that's appropriate for uh, the age of the people who that collection is for. So for instance, right now we're shelving our kids' books all the way to the ceiling. Of course kids can't reach that high. So they, don't, they lose their agency, they lose their ability to pick for themselves. Um, so we'll have wonderful dedicated areas and plenty of room for people to spread out and be able to kind of do what they need to do in the library without disturbing or being disturbed by anyone else. Joe Scott, the president and chair of the Berryville Library Advisory Board, says the $3.5 million price tag is big. But if the $150,000 for the end-of-year match is successful, a new library is very much a reality. So it's really been neat to see people step up local institutions, families, businesses, banks, those kinds of things, because we needed that. We knew, you know, as great as it is to have the, the bake sales and such, we knew that we couldn't do it that way. So it's taken more than that. Um, and, and I just hope that we can get over this hump because we finally see a finish line, I think, you know, in the distance here, but it's coming. You can find out more about the library and its fundraising progress at berryvillelibrary.org. This is Reflections in Black, and I'm your host, Raven Cook. Reflections in Black is a segment dedicated to considering the legacy of black Americans in the United States and around the globe. Each episode has been carefully designed to lead you to wonder, encourage you to research, and support you in ways to use new knowledge to make a difference in our world. Our first step starts here and now with the new episode of Reflections in Black. In 2021, the Netflix film The Harder They Fall was released. The movie, a black western, referenced actual people like Stagecoach Mary, Bill Pickett, and Jim Beckworth. Now, I'm not a huge fan of westerns like my dad, but it was full of black people, which was not new, but interesting to me as someone who is often thinking about visual culture. One of the names from the character list also made this a must-see film, Bass Reeves. I was so proud, thinking, all right, he's from Arkansas. He was also played by one of my favorite actors, Delroy Lindo. Bass Reeves was a name I recognized from teaching Arkansas African American history and as one of the figures to be inducted into the Arkansas Black Hall of Fame. Still, I needed to understand more about his connection to popular culture. Bass Reeves was born into slavery in 1838 in Crawford County, Arkansas. But a young Bass Reeves left the state after his enslaver, William S. Reeves, moved to Texas. While little is known about the life of Bass Reeves during slavery or the Civil War, the story gets a little clearer in 1875 when he became a commissioned U.S. Marshal in the Western District of Arkansas. In contemporary times, Reeves' jurisdiction as an officer would be over primary parts of Arkansas and Oklahoma. A career of courage is today considered in historical works and viewed through the lens of Hollywood. Bass Reeves went from being an enslavement to being part of the leadership of the criminal justice system. Quite a feat for a black man in the late 19th century. Now many speculate that Reeves' figure is loosely connected to the Lone Ranger character from the programs in 1933, which was on the radio, and the television show in 1949. For much of the 20th century, the Lone Ranger remained centered in whiteness when America thought of who would be behind scenes apprehending criminals. 
It has not been until recently that black film creators began to obtain big budgets and work with big distribution companies, making new ways to speak to the legacy of Reeves and remind the world that Bass Reeves was a black man. Black people have always contributed to influential figures in society, but what does it mean to have those powerful stories hidden? How will you do your part to ensure the legacy of black people will never go without being told? Will you share this episode, or you could begin by doing research on Bass Reeves for yourself. Whatever the case, know you're not alone, and start today. Until next time, peace. The National Spelling Bee annually receives attention for placing a spotlight on young students. National Geographic sponsors a yearly geography bee, and there are math Olympics staged every year as well. Now add a new academic competition to the Arkansas landscape, the Civics Bee. Local students can earn their way to the state championships and work toward a possible national award of thousands of dollars. The local competition for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders is sponsored by the Rogers Lowell Chamber. This week, we called Sarah Lynn Geiger, the Chamber's Vice President of Government Affairs. She says when the Chamber was contacted about raising the profile of the Civics Bee here, they quickly agreed. We value civics. We value civic engagement. And so just, we just want to make sure that we're educating in a proper way and providing a platform to further engage our students and make sure that they're aware of just how everything works. How do students get involved locally? It starts with submitting a 500-word essay to our chamber, um, and you can submit either a paper copy or we also have uh, resources on our website that direct you to our essay portal where you can upload a digital copy as well. From there, we will narrow down the essays down to probably about 20 students. From there, the 20 students will compete at our local competition, and the top 10 will be able to progress to the state competition. Do you have to be a student in the Rogers school system? No, you do not. You can be you can be any middle school student actually in Arkansas this year. <laughs> oh wow! All right, now this yeah. essay. Uh, if you if you go to um, the the online uh, presence that explains what's the essay, there's a significant specific prompt for what the essay is supposed to be about. Yes. So it's identifying a problem facing your community and how might citizens solve this problem. Um, and this can look, take a bunch of different different aspects, but we kind of would like them to tailor it down to defining what the problem is and how do different members of your community or neighborhood view that problem? Um, what are civic principles or systems that could help address the problem? What is your idea or recommendation for solving a problem? And then primary sources um, such as, you know, the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution and how do these support your recommendation? And then how might members of your community or neighborhood bring your idea and recommendation into life? I will be so interested, and I'm sure you will too, I'll be so interested to see what middle school students see as a problem with their community. Oh, yeah. You and me both. I think it's going to be a very hot topic of conversation and lead to a bunch of really important conversations just about what's next for our future generation. All right. So write the 500 word essay and <laughs> you've got to have it done by when? January 8th is whenever our submission deadline is. So it is de definitely very quickly approaching. All right. Well, so by January 8th, you can start writing it now. Uh, you can. Yes. You mentioned you could do it on paper. Thank you for doing that. But, but did, did, do you then, if you have a paper version, do you drop it? Do you mail it? Do you drop it by the chamber? Yeah, I was going to say you can mail it to our chamber. You can drop it by our chamber, whichever whichever is most convenient for the student. Um, we, we suspect that the online portal is probably going to be the more reasonable of the options. But, um, but yeah. yes, they can either mail it or they can um, submit it online or drop it off at our office. The state competition is mm -hmm. it's a live event it's it, it's more along the Correct. lines of what a spelling bee looks and sounds like yeah. 
Yes, absolutely. So we will actually have a live, um, live local competition on April 2nd, and it will be held at Heritage High School. And then from that live competition, there will be a live state competition that we are still, I believe we, we have settled on the date of May 14th that will happen, be happening in Little Rock. I think the biggest thing is that upon this happening and upon our students winning and going through to the final level of the competition, which is the national competition, they have the opportunity for them and a parent to go to Washington, D.C. Um, and while they're in D.C., um, we're trying to set up some fun activities for them with some of our local delegations. Um, and on top of that, they will also have the chance to win up to $50,000 in prizes at the national competition. Wow, that's that's yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I know. I was like, goodness gracious. Um, but going off of that, I also think it's important to highlight that we are getting certain prizes and things together um, for students on both the state and local level as well. And as far as stuff that's already in place for the local level, our first place winner will win $500. Our second place winner will win $250. And our third place winner will win um, $125. And then on the state level, it'll be $1,000 for first place, $500 for second place, and $250 for third place. But I feel like that may may pale in comparison to being able to win $50,000 on the national level. Still, if I recall my middle school life, uh, you know, $100, $150, $250, that wasn't anything. Wouldn't that have been incredible? <laughs> right. Oh, also, I, I, I read in some of the literature there is something hashtag civics buzz. Yes. So you can follow along on social media. And this is a national competition. So there are a, there are quite a few different states, cities, communities that are in the local process. And so if you just want to see what's going on, um, just as far as around different parts of the country and who's all getting involved, you can follow that hashtag on social media and check in and tap in to see what's going on. And we also are utilizing that for our own social media as well. Sarah Lynn Geiger is the Vice President of Government Affairs at the Rogers Lowell Chamber. The Chamber is sponsoring the local portion of the Civics Bee. Deadline for the essay submission is January 8th. Questions can be emailed to civicsbee at rogerslowell.com. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Thank you so much to everybody who showed up at the Pryor Center or the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History on the Fayetteville Square last night. Randy Dixon and I did another one of our live presentations of archives, much like we do on the radio every Monday, but this mm-hmm. one include the video. You could you could watch it. Yeah, and um, and we were talking earlier this morning. I asked you how it went, and you said so many people came up to you and said how much they enjoy hearing it on the radio every week. Had uh, met new new friends from Bella Vista, and there were folks from Rogers and from West Washington County who came in um, and had a real good time. And we're going to do it again in the spring. This one had a sort of seasonal theme, things that happened in November and December. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're free. Come on down. It's part of the Prior Center Present series that they're going to do in the spring. It's not just Randy and me. They have authors and, and scholars come in. But uh, thanks again for everyone coming down and for coming up before and after and saying, you know, introducing yourselves. I like that. How did, For you, how do you prepare differently from what you do on the radio <laughs> okay. to what you do uh, at the Prior Center? It's not really that different because here's not the secret. I've said this before. Randy Dixon does all the heavy lifting. Yeah. He researches. He gets the clips together. He brings them to me. And then I talk. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. Last night. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And I'll share a bit of trivia that I shared with the audience last night because there were a couple of football-related clips. Did you know that in Super Bowl One, which was covered by both NBC and CBS, because it wasn't that big a game yet. It was right. kind of seen as this exhibition game because mm-hmm. the AFC wasn't seen as important as the NFL. But both CBS and NBC covered 
Super Bowl one. The sideline reporter for NBC was Charlie Jones. The sideline reporter for CBS was Pat Summerall. Hmm. You know what those two men have in common? Both have University of Arkansas degrees. Really? Pat's, yep. Really? Pat Summerall was a place kicker here and earned his degree. Charlie Jones got his law degree at the University of Arkansas. I did not know that. So U of A grads were the first two sideline reporters at the Super Bowl. That's awesome. Yeah, I think so. Also awesome, I had 11 amazing musicians in the Furman Garner Performance Studio Monday night. Just sort of this, um, instead of a hootenanny, I'm going to call it a holiday in nanny. Mm-hmm. i got to work on that. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. But uh, so many talented people mm. uh, putting together a holiday um, recording. That will be our show on Friday, December 22nd at noon and 7. We'll replay it again Sunday morning, Christmas Eve morning on December 24th. Mm-hmm. I mean, Patty Steele with her clarinet, Joe Credit with his mandolin, Ashton Barbary gave us a brand new holiday theme song. Oh, wow. it, I'm getting goosebumps just talking mm-hmm. about it. And we had such a good time, and that will be on soon. I'm really looking forward to sharing that. i got to work on it. Kyle, I don't know if you know this or not. I, I play music. I'm a guitar yeah, player. I, yeah. uh, I In a previous life, I used to play in bands. And my goal was always to be the least talented person in the room when I was playing, that I could surround myself with really talented and wonderful musicians. Um, and no offense to your musical ability, but I think that was the setting uh, there as oh. well, that you were the least talented person in that room. Easily. Um, I can't remember who now. Someone brought in some jingle bells for rhythm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, maybe I, no, let's not do that. Let's not screw this up. No, I was definitely the least talented person in the room, and that's fine. That's that's a good way to be. We'll get to hear that Friday, December 22nd. Noon and 7 in Northwest Arkansas, 7 in Little Rock, and then again in Northwest Arkansas, Sunday morning at 9 on the 24th. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A Hot Springs hotel had a storied career before a devastating fire in 2014. The Avenue Hotel was built in 1882 at the junction of Park and Central Avenues. Renamed the Majestic six years later, the hotel was improved with modern conveniences until by the turn of the century it had a reputation for luxurious lodging. Thermal waters from Hot Springs National Park were added, and the in-house baths made the Majestic popular with the players of the Pittsburgh Pirates and Boston Red Sox during spring training and with the many mobsters who frequented the town. An eight-story annex was added in 1926. During World War II, the Majestic housed American GIs. Celebrities like Alan Ladd, Phyllis Diller, and Guy Lombardo stayed there afterward. Four years after Hawaii became a state, the Lanai Tower was added to the complex. As illegal gambling was eliminated and spa bathing fell from favor, the Majestic declined. A fire destroyed part of the hotel in 2014, and it was demolished two years later. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. This is... Ozarks at Large. You may remember last week we briefly heard from the Austin, Texas-based band Golden Dawn Orchestra on our show. They performed last Friday night in Bentonville as the final 2023 guests of the nonprofit Sonic Gill. The band is a rhythmic, always-moving, cosmic burst of energy. Their stage shows feature band members in shiny, glittery outfits, sometimes masked. Well, here's founder Topaz explaining. You, you... You, you may love us or hate us, but you've probably definitely never seen anything quite like it. <laughs> so that's one way I kind of like to say it as well. Golden Dawn Orchestra's name is influenced by legendary avant-garde jazz and funk musician Sun Ra, who led an evolving ensemble called Orchestra. Topaz now says he sometimes wishes he hadn't picked that name. He thought at the time the band might be a one-off. He wishes he hadn't because people might be confused by it. Well, last Friday... Three members of the band, Topaz, Adam, and Nettie, came to the Carver Center for Public Radio before they went to the Bentonville gig. Nettie told me she joined the band after she had first seen them perform live. Everything was so shiny. (laughs) Everything was so sparkly, and they were moving like this organic being, and like the way everyone was just playing what they knew. And yeah, Echo dancing in front. It's always been the culture, I think, of this band to reach out and connect so many different cultures. Everyone gets to bring what they love about their cultures and cultures that have touched them. Um, And you can see that through the sincerity that we play music, I guess. And the connectivity is beyond just the people on stage because it goes out to the people who are listening and watching. That's kind of the point, right? Oh yeah, you know, it's a, it's a we're, we're, we we like to think of it as a ritual of just you know of of art and not just music but of 
a visual ritual as well to 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 and 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 and, and as we've when we play when we when we come back to the more we come back to, or in all when we play Austin you know everybody in the crowd starts to dress up too and it becomes more and more of an interactive thing but 100% you know with the cuz it's it is dance music and people are dancing with us and a lot of times we'll go out into the crowd for processions and such and um you know I like to I like to def I feel like I feel like it takes more these days we were just talking about it with singer songwriters nothing against singer songwriters but in this day and age, it, we're all so distracted. It takes more to, to bring us out of our distractions and out of our addictions to our phones and into the moment. And so, you know, for whatever it's worth, it, it, it's helpful to have all this, like, it's just like, rah, like this, all this visual and all this sensory overload almost to bring you out of the, to bring you out of your, 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 your distractions and into the moment. How tired are you at the end of a performance? I don't know. We always seem to go out after. <laughs> I, I, I personally, if it's, it depends on the show. It, you know, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. There's every show's different, and, and and it does depend a little bit on what the crowd's given back to you. You're not gonna give. You, you know, we, if, when you play all all the time, you know, you you you're not gonna you're not gonna give. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just stepping in it right now. I was about to say, but it's like because you try to give 100, percent but mm-hmm. but. But you do give 100. percent I guess I guess when the crowd is really given back, you give like 10,000 percent, right? And so there have definitely been shows where I've never been more exhausted in my life than after these shows, and and I just have to sit down, and I'm just like, and I literally can't move, and because uh, um, uh, just given giving so much energy out, yes, 100. percent And then like uh, our draw, our poor drummer too, like he's. He, definitely after every show, he is man. He because <laughs> he's in costume too and a mask, and it's just like so. His it's also it's also the heat. It when sometimes it's sometimes because of the costuming, it's just harder to like dress for the appropriate weather. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. sometimes you just get like some of those the hot gigs are the hot gigs are intense. Yeah. Like and we did in the summer. We tour. We usually tour Europe in the summer a lot, and and uh, they don't have AC over there. Right, they... and man, some of the, and 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 we play a lot of festivals, but but um, but uh, when we're not playing festivals, we tend to play like during the week, midweek. We would play these, we'll play these smaller venues, and they'll be really crowded because they're small, but there's no AC, and man, I'll never forget that one in Eastern Germany. We yeah. all, I think, we all almost fainted yeah. on that one. Yeah, yeah. in we Dresden. Were... Yeah. Dresden, yeah. I think it's always dangerous to tell musicians what your favorite song of theirs is because then they will psychoanalyze you later. (laughs) But I love Head for the Hills. how it starts and I love what happens in the middle and I'm just wondering when 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 a song's being created how does it come together can it is it chronologically beginning middle end I mean they're all different they're all totally different and that one Chris our percussion player will be very happy to hear that because <laughs> that one literally he had that beginning that and, and it's like a, it's called a I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess. No, it's like a, mm. it's not a. It sounds like a. It's tabla. a specific it is, hand drum. It's a hand drum using. from India. It's called the. Yeah. Uh, where we're gonna mess it up. Yeah. It's like it looks like <laughs> it actually sure. looks like a tambourine, but you mm. you can manipulate it like a tabla or a talking drum. and has that whoop whoop whoop. And so he had that groove, and he's like, "Let's write a song with this groove." And then we came up with we that one. You know, some of them I'll come up with all of my own, or somebody else will come up with it. That one we definitely came up with. That that album in general, we was. We, we, we kind of put together really fast, and it was for a live. It was recorded live, and we'd never played any of those songs before, which was quite interesting. And uh, so, anyways, yeah, with that one, he he had it. He just had a groove, and then uh, and then we came up with. The, I think we came up with the the like just organically came up with guitar the part. guitar part and the bass line, and then I think I might have written the lyrics and the the, melo- the the lyrical melody at home. What's great about grooves? is they seem, to those of us who don't write them, so basic, so easy, so... Well, that's obvious. That's a great groove. Can it ever be a challenge or 
dare I say, frustrating to get the groove to where you want it to be? I mean, I would say definitely that's where it becomes uh, genre-specific and mm -hmm. how much you want to pay tribute to a certain artist or genre. I mean, because then anything can be repetitive, but to make it a groove, you have to transcend and have the experience with the audience. And yeah, that you have to be a little specific. But the people we all work with that you don't even really, you just um, mentally communicate that. We all come from, you know, Support you just talk, talk to each other about who you listen to. You don't say like, oh, do this exactly but like I think, this. But I think to answer your question in a different way, in a slightly different way, I think it is easy if it is, if it's, if it's, if you have, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It It is easy to come up with the groove, it is, but not for everybody. <laughs> it, it, should be, it should be, it should be it easy. Should be easy. What's it like when you go to a show where, because if you're in Austin, you've got people familiar with you, but maybe if you're in Bentonville or somewhere else, it's a crowd that's mostly newcomers, mm -hmm. neophytes. What's it like to watch the show develop from stage? Um, it's really interesting seeing people's inhibitions like loosen and drinks are kind of flowing. And I think when they see us on stage, like you were saying, it really does allow people to be in that vulnerable space because we are also in a vulnerable space. Um, like Topaz was saying, when we transcend um, our human form and call on our cosmic, you know, deities, I think we are trying to also transmute things in our own personal lives. And music just has a natural way of healing and dancing, moving your body. So when we do that on stage and allow people to f feel free to do that, um, I think it endears them to us. Um, and so by the end of the set, even if I've had multiple people say, you know, I don't really like music or like music's not really my thing that I go out and, you know, find, but I'm really glad I saw your set um, because it allows people to heal and be free, you know, the way music I think should. Well, Tobias, you mentioned that you thought this was something you would have done fun, you know, last for a little bit, now you're touring the world. What do you think stuck for you and for the people I mean, I think uh, it's kind of what Nettie just said. Uh, it's, just, it's just the authenticity of it, uh, of just doing something purely for the joy of it, really, and that, that's infectious. Um, uh, you know, I, I'd been in a lot of bands before where, you know, of course you're always doing it for the joy of it, but then but there was a lot of times there was an element of like, oh, my God, this has got to be, we got to make it, you know? And, uh, and with this band, like I said, it was just interesting because it was the one time where I was like, purely just doing it for fun like literally that was my goal because I needed I kind of had stopped touring a little bit and I wanted an outlet and I wanted it to be wild and crazy and yeah I think that's just infectious people see you doing something that you love and and that's that's purely for the joy of it they're gonna respond to that really what sustains us and enables us a lot is um is is our community in Austin because we we we, we do have a good, really good loyal following in Austin a lot of times we'll you know, we'll tour, we'll go a little bit to dead, and then we'll make it back in Austin or whatever. And also, big shout out to Sonic Guild. I was gonna say <laughs> that's where Sonic Guild can come in. Yeah, yeah. Big shout out to Sonic Guild. They we we they've given us some money and helped us out a lot, and um, they're helping out a lot of people in in Austin. And there's a new chapter here, and that's what our I guess I guess we'll get to that. Sorry. I'm, well, I was about to bring that segue, up. I mean, segue. Boom. You have experience with Sonic Guild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had we 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 were. Uh, we were a recipient of their grant one year and uh, really helped us out. I can't remember if we use it for a music video or for recording. I think we might have used it for a music video. But you know, case in point, music videos, it's like like every you, you are totally expected, like you have to have music videos now. You don't make any money off music videos. They cost, they, they easily cost you anywhere from three to $15,000. An unfunded know? mandate. Yeah, unfunded yeah. mandate, exactly. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, just another case in point of, but so real, real, real grateful to to, to Sonic Guild, and I hope that more and more put, uh, organizations like that start to sprout up because we really need it. And and uh, and um, so real, real big shout out to. And what's great about Sonic Guild is 
they get a whether it's in Austin, Northwest Arkansas, or Seattle. I think that's, that's the, the correct, other one. Yeah. Um, they get this reputation among residents that okay, I've never heard of these folks or this person who's coming in, but if Sonic Guild's behind them and supporting them, let's do it. It must be good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a members a membership fee and. Uh, just uh, if you're in the community and you're more interested, go to their website because you can become a member and then you get access to these to private shows. Check them out and, and join the, join their awesome movement of supporting artists. And it's 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 not it's not that expensive. And you also get then you your money goes that you the money that you spend on your membership goes towards these shows and it goes towards grants that are given to musicians that the members vote on as a group who's going to receive these awards every year. Topaz, Nettie, and Adam are three members of the band Golden Dawn Orchestra, based in Austin, Texas. They performed at the record in downtown Bentonville last weekend as the final guest of 2023 of the nonprofit Sonic Guild. Now, you can find out more about Sonic Guild at sonicguild.org and much more about the band at goldendawnorchestra.com. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, the U.S. Postal Service is looking to move its processing and distribution center out of Fayetteville. At a public input session last week, more questions were raised than answered. Well, there's a lot of unanswered questions, especially how this is going to affect mail service, how it's going to affect delivery times, mail related to the elections. Uh, there's a lot of different things that county government depends on the Postal Service for, and so there's a lot of concerns about how this is going to impact us, how it's going to impact the community. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth brings us that story on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large. KUAF's Daily Word Game is a five-letter puzzle available to play right now, as in T-O-D-A-Y. Ugh. Okay. You might get the word if you listen to the Ozarks at Large A-U-D-I-O. Okay, okay. Maybe it's because I forgot to remind you that you can play the game at kwaf.com or by subscribing to the Ozarks at Large newsletter that shows up in your email, I-N-B-O-X. Well, maybe you'll have better luck than me. Go try your luck today. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. Contributors today included Sophia Narani, Daniel Carruth, Raven Cook, and Mark Christ. KUAF's underwriting director is Ryan Versey. Our theme is titled First to Raw. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2, inside the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville. If you ever miss an edition of Ozarks at Large, fret not. You can find past editions of our show in your podcast feed. Just search Ozarks at Large wherever you listen. And you can also find individual stories and interviews to share with friends or listen to on your own. That's at our website, OzarksAtLarge.com. All of that available to you for absolutely free. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kelms. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks so much for being with us. I'll be with you tomorrow, and Kyle will be back with me on Friday for our daily editions of the show. Thanks for being with us. The Walmart Amp presents Canadian singer-songwriter Sarah McLaughlin Tuesday, July 2nd, touring in celebration of the 30th anniversary of her third studio album, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, performing the full record front to back. She'll be joined on tour by special guest Feist, Tickets and information at amptickets.com.